At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non-toxic, non-flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco-friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. What's up guys, welcome back. So listen, in modern air conditioning, modern air conditioning, heating, refrigeration, heat pumps, one of the, the greatest inventions in these modern times is the inverter compressor because there's so many things that we can utilize with an inverter compressor and we can match loads, we can save on energy by creating an abundance of efficiency. Now we have Jerry Wagner from Tosobathica. He is a world-class, first-class trainer. I've been to his training classes. He will not let you fall asleep. They're entertaining and informative as well. So we have Jerry on the podcast and he's gonna talk about the inverter compressor. He's gonna give his his opinion on electrification and where we're going with it. And we're gonna talk about a bunch of other things that pertain to this subject. So stay tuned, listen up guys. This is the HVAC Know-It-All podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. This podcast is sponsored by Master and I have to be 100% honest when it comes to the inside sales team and the people that support me from, from the inside do a fabulous job with getting back to me with emails and information promptly and good, valid, right information as well. So if you're looking to become a York dealer or a Coleman dealer, check out Master. Check out master.ca. This podcast is sponsored by Cintas and Cintas is a major player in the game when it comes to providing blue collar uniforms to blue collar trades. Many solutions, many options. You have to go check out the landing page we've got for you. It is cintas.com forward slash HVAC know it all. Welcome to the HVAC know it all podcast. Recorded from a basement somewhere in Toronto, Canada. Your host and HVAC tech, Gary McCready, will take you on a deep dive into the industry discussing all things HVAC. From storytelling to technical discussion. Enjoy the show. All right, Jerry. So listen, a few years ago, you and I had a discussion over a podcast. But th- thing, a lot of things have changed since then. A lot of things in the industry. A lot of things have changed with myself, with you. And, and we're back having another one. And we're going to talk about a few things here. We're going to talk about inverter, um, the technology around an inverter compressor. We're going to talk about electrification, maybe throw in some, some install bits and pieces of, of mini splits and heat pumps. How do you feel about that? Yeah. Good sounds go. good, Gary. Yeah. Thanks good for having rock. me. First of all. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. I, I mean, I got to say that coming out and actually watching you train was, was special for me because I've talked to you outside of that. Right. And, yeah. and then as soon as you start training, it's like a different, it's like you get into a character. It's like a different, <laughs> you take a whole different approach and it's like, you're, you're in tune, you're in character and you probably have the best entertaining training class that I've ever been to. You keep everybody awake, oh. everybody engaged and it doesn't get boring. And it, it's, I really enjoyed it. So anybody out there that has a chance to take one of Jerry's classes, uh, I would do so. Oh, Gary, thank you from you. That's high praise. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, man. So we can, we can discuss 
your uh, maybe at the end of the podcast, we'll discuss kind of your your schedule for training over the next little while and and where yeah. people can go to, to to sign up. Sure. What I'd like to talk about is the first is the technology around. I should probably silence my phone. I thought I did that. The technology behind compressors these days and and how they're inverter duty and how that is kind of changing the game as far as efficiency and comfort and uh even even how the the longevity of the compressor itself because there's no hard starts there's no hard stops it's ramping up it's ramping down you want to just give us your two cents on this whole technology and what it's doing for the industry yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll start with a little shameless self-promotion, and that is that I, I write an article. Generally, it comes out about every couple of months. The, the name of the column is The Duck-Free Zone. And, and Gary, about two years ago, I dedicated the column to the inverter compressor. And two years ago, I made the statement in the column that I felt the inverter compressor was the most significant invention in the HVAC industry in my lifetime. I, I believe that two years ago, and I believe that to this day. Um, it literally, I hate to be cliche, but boy, talk about game changing. It has literally changed the game, not only originally with mini splits, allowing mini splits to, uh, to zone, uh, different types of evaporators, uh, BRF systems. I could go on and on, but now in the unitary, uh, world, right. Where, where ducted systems now are incorporating inverter, uh, compressors and enjoying, the high seer uh, ratings that that go along with it. So, yeah, no question that that it has definitely changed the game. And if if I can just talk about the compressor, really in in, in super basic uh, terms, you know, I always use the uh, the example of the the automobile. You know, I, I and I always use my last my first customer and my last customer in new york and new jersey mrs gillicuddy and everybody thinks i've made up this cartoon character mrs gillicuddy but i assure you she exists and you know mrs gillicuddy's now in her 80s she's not well but her mind is still sharp as a tack but i can assure you gary mrs gillicuddy could care less about seer ratings she could care less about uh, inverter compressors but believe it or not she has a pretty good understanding of the automobile and she knows that when she presses the gas on the automobile that, that her 67 Malibu starts to take off. And she also knows when she lets off on the gas that the Malibu slows down. And she also knows when she puts the Malibu in, in cruise control that the Malibu maintains. And, and, I, and I tell you this because that is exactly what an inverter compressor does. When the load is great, when the load is 100%, we can spin it up to 3,600 RPM like every other compressor in the world. But the difference is, the key is, is when the load is less than great, when it's less than 100%, we could take our foot off the gas. And when we take our foot, our foot off the gas, we, we use less gas. Well, we use less, uh, less energy. You, you know what I'm talking about. Yes, and when yes. the system finds the sweet spot, and what I'm calling the sweet spot in this conversation is her set point temperature. Whatever Mrs. Gillicuddy has uh, programmed into the system as her comfort number, 68, 70, 72, once the system finds and establishes that sweet spot, well, then it's cruise control, baby. Now, now we're just maintaining the revolutions of the compressor to maintain that set point temperature. And I think that's an easy way, certainly for homeowners, when we're attempting to sell one of these systems to, to a potential customer. But I, darn it, I, I think it helps us get our heads around it, the, the concept of an inverter compressor as well. You know, I, I come from the boiler world, Gary. I think you know that my background is, you know, I get on, got into this industry through, through my pops, who is in the boiler manufacturing industry. And, 
you know, it's much like a modulating boiler where instead of having a constant BTU output of 100,000 BTUs, a modulating boiler can modulate any way down from 20,000 BTUs all the way up to 100. And the, the inverter compressor, the same thing. A, a, a three-ton uh, inverter mini-split can go as low as something crazy like three or 4,000 BTUs of cooling, and it could go as high as... In some cases, 40,000 BTU, actually higher than the model number would imply. So to me, that's the key. That's the advantage that these systems don't lock you into a certain uh, capacity, one ton, two ton, three ton, four ton, whatever it may be. You have this very generous range of capacity with these systems, and the systems are able to react to the environments in which they are installed. And yeah. they, do, they do that, Gary, through taking indoor and outdoor temperature uh, readings. You know, I, again, I, I always give my father props. His, his boiler company introduced the first modulating boiler back in 1979. And how Pops modulated a boiler 45 years ago, whatever that is, was by taking indoor temperature and balancing it with outdoor temperature. See, in the hydronic world, that's called indoor-outdoor reset to this day. Yeah, and, and that's right. I, and I give I give you a little boiler 101 because that's exactly how inverter compressors work. We take the indoor temperature and balance it with the outdoor temperature to determine the running RPM of the compressor, which in turn determines the BTU output. Yeah, and you said something that made me think as as you're stating the range of a uh, of the system with an inverter compressor. You're saying all the way down to like two or three. Yeah. Um, thousand BTUs up to 40,000 BTUs for like a three ton type thing. But I mean, do you think that has helped with a lot of design flaws? Because we know that when it comes to a lot of companies out there, there's a lot of bad systems that go, especially in the forced air world. There's a yeah. lot of bad ductwork. There's a lot of oversized equipment uh, because it's on off type equipment and there's, there's lack of airflow. There's all kinds of problems. But as the mini split has come along with the inverter style compressor, it's kind of minimized a little bit the design issues that you could see because of that range. Do you, do you, believe, you think that's we're on to something there with that? I, I, I do. There's there's no question that um, it's it, it's very forgiving, right? Uh, but in my classes, and, and you've attended one of my classes, three of my classes, Gary, you know that I also promote a proper heat gain, heat loss calculation, right? Yes, you do. Yeah. yeah. Because yes, a inverter compressor is very, very forgiving and it gives you this very generous range of capacity. But if you're going to quote a four ton system for a two ton application, you're not going to get the job. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're, you're, yeah. you're never, you're never going to get the opportunity to test the theory of the inverter compressor because you're going to have priced yourself right out of the market. So I always stress that as professionals, and we are professionals, we always have to use our skills and talents to be sure we select the right equipment, because otherwise this is all caca, right? You know, this is all a waste of time. If we, everything starts with getting the job and start and getting the job starts with uh, a proper heat gain, heat loss. Yeah, for sure. And, and the other thing with this, style of unit compressor that with with the fans speeding up speeding like you can turn these things on and barely hear them like what's up yeah. with that like why are they so quiet well i, I it, it is the nature of the beast just the the construction of the of, of the fans nowadays very very quiet uh, again the fan speed meets the need 
uh, within the room itself. It, it adapts to the room, so to speak. Uh, everything is modulating in these systems, not only the compressor, but the fan speed as well, indoor fan speed and outdoor fan speed for that matter. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's all a part of the inverter technology and these systems are super quiet. In fact, I, I never thought I would hear a complaint that they're too quiet, right? I, I don't know when they're on. Can you that's actually a complaint we get from time to time. Um, yeah. I always, I just and, always say to people, look, are you comfortable? And the answer is yes. I said, well, then forget about hearing it. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> I, I'm going to ask you about electrification in a minute, but one thing I think that ductless heat pumps zoned, uh, like getting a, a system that, that is, uh, maybe got three, a few zones on it or even multiple systems. What it can do is allow somebody to go into a new construction home. And this is, this has been happening more and more and more in my area. And I've been involved in a few of these where instead of having to run ductwork through the entire house, design that ductwork properly, we can hang four or five heads in a house, run pipe to it and drain. And, and we can have a fully zoned system where every area of the house gets their own temperature that they want to set it to. With no a traditional forced air system, you have a thermostat that's centrally located and you can have it, uh, rooms in different places of a home that are too hot, too cold because of infiltration or sun load or not enough airflow or whatever it may be, you can fix all that with a zone ductless system, which, and, and, it, and the install is easier. It's easier to install a ductless system zone than it is to install a forced air zone system. It's probably cheaper too, because forced air zone systems are not, are not cheap at all. And they're, and they're complicated to set up a lot of times. V very complicated. Um, look, let, let, let's be honest. The, the, the mini split has brought another, I'll say, category of tradespeople into HVAC where you don't have to know how to use a ductilator. You, you, you don't have to be uh, an expert in airflow. You can do just as you suggest uh, with the proper heat gain, heat loss for a room. Uh, size, uh, you select a proper evaporator, whether it be a high wall mount, a cassette, uh, a ducted unit. And uh, yeah, it, it's no fuss, no muss from, from an application standpoint, for sure. And no question, uh, a less expensive, uh, as far as labor is concerned, in my opinion, for sure. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. hundred percent. It's, it's quicker with labor. So, I mean, let's get on because a few things I want to ask you about during this, this conversation and we don't have, we don't have all night. We got, we got like an hour here at the most, but what do you think about electrification? I know I asked you that off or yeah. before we, we hit record and you chuckled just like that. And you said, I'm very opinionated. And I said, I know that's what I want. I want from you. I want your opinion, whether it be for, against, whatever it is, I want to hear it. I want to hear what your opinion is. Yeah. Um, well, I guess I'll just preface my comments by saying, uh, look, I, I, I'm not here to bite the hand that's feeding me. I, I, I know uh, the product I'm involved in, and that is heat pumps. Um, but my concern with electrification, Gary, uh, and, and again, uh, it, it is the way that we need to go. It, it, it does um, free us from unstable and often unfriendly fossil fuel or petroleum sources, um, global sources. You know what I'm talking about. And my only issue with the electrification um, 
campaign, I guess I'll call it as it is now, is we just have to be careful what we wish for. You know, if, if you listen to um, the political side of things, they would all like for every car to be electric and for every home to be heat pump tomorrow. <laughs> you know? yeah. And uh, obviously that's not, not going to happen. And, and it's a good thing that that's not going to happen because the electrical grids, both in the U.S. and Canada, are not ready for that. We're, we're, not yeah. prepa- we're not prepared for that. We don't have the capacity for that. Um, so there has to be uh, a give and take. There has to be an, e- an equalization where both of these things, the, 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 the capability to provide and also the increase of uh, electric cars and, and, and heat pumps in homes have to, have to move up pretty similar in the same rate in order uh, for things to be working properly. So that's my only concern with it. Um, And also, I've noticed um, both in Canada and in the U.S., electrical rates going up. Now, isn't that interesting? (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. uh, that concerns me is... Is, is, so, this, is this going the route of petroleum? Um, I, I'll throw this out at you. I, I found this very interesting. I saw in the news the other day where Shell Oil just invested billions of dollars to purchase a EV recharging company. Mm-hmm. Why? Why yeah. would a petroleum company be investing that kind of money into an EV charging company? Well... Maybe electricity is the new petroleum, and, and, and that worries me a little bit. You know, um, we, we, we have to move forward with electrification. I'll just stay there. We have to move forward with electrification, but I just think we need to, um, to just be conscious of the limitations of the grid right now and, and be aware that this has to, you know, there's going to be some growing pains, and, and it has to be, I, I wouldn't I even slow down a little bit. It, it, we we have to take a closer look. Yeah, no, I I I, I get your points, and I've even thought to myself, even as like a a kid, or not a kid, but like a just like a, a young adult growing up and working with natural gas a lot, and thinking like, if if you stand on a roof in, in a certain pocket of a, a certain town, if it, if it's populated and there's a lot of commercial activity going on, you, you see massive amounts of equipment on the roof and massive gas lines and they're all feeding smaller units and they're all running at the same time you're like is there a time everywhere like just the natural gas the natural resource of it is just gonna stop coming like deplete itself totally and and there's got to be there's got to be an answer there, there has to be an answer yes to that at some point i don't know when it is because yeah. if we just keep using it i don't i don't know the ins and outs of how natural gas is 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 brought from the ground up. I haven't looked into it that far, but I'm just thinking as a natural resource at one point, Hey, it could be gone. Just out of curiosity is, is me thinking. And then I get to the next point. And if it does go and, and our grids are not able to handle this electrification and all these batteries charging and everything running off of power, I see that every home in the near future is going to have its own sources of generating electricity, maybe its yeah. own little windmill. Maybe everybody's yeah. going to have solar panels. Maybe there's going to be some new technology that's going to be out where you self-generate power like at your own home because, yeah. because the, the grid can't keep up with everybody's demand. I, I just I see that 
sort of in in like a my head if i'm if i'm in a futuristic movie or something like that and i'm producing it <laughs> these are the ideas that i'd implement like if i was making a movie in like 2100 or something like that you know what i mean yeah yeah <laughs> You know, Gary, I, I was invited to a um, an ASHRAE meeting. I hadn't been to an ASHRAE meeting in decades, to be honest with you. Uh, and I was invited to one in Edmonton uh, earlier this year. And it was a, a, a two-hour discussion by a very, very uh, intelligent man uh, who's very uh, rooted in the uh, net zero uh, campaign. And I have to be honest with you, it was one of the most depressing meetings that I ever attended because, you know, each uh, idea, each concept within net zero, when you kind of scratch below the surface a little bit, is it really net zero? Is it really even neutral? Uh, because, you know, you look at the ships that have to bring a product here from, from Asia, or you, you know, there's, there's always some carbon footprint associated with virtually every step of the process. And, uh, you know, net zero is, is a very, def, very high bar uh, and, and possibly something that, you know, in reality may never be met, but it's a good goal, you know, and, and I, and I want to stress that I, I, I'm not suggesting that, um, you know, this is all for nothing and it's a waste of time. Not at all. I don't feel that way at all. Uh, but it is difficult. Uh, it is expensive for sure. Um, and. I think, to be honest with you, like you were saying, if you were making a science fiction film, well, let, I think the next energy form, possibly we aren't aware of it yet. You know, I, I think there may be something around the corner that may, may not even happen in, in my lifetime. Uh, but yeah. I, I think we've got some great minds on it that in time will, uh, like I say, probably be something we're not even aware of just yet. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. It's it. I just like to think and ask questions. Like I have no idea what's going to happen, but I just like to think and, and ask questions. Cause I think when you think and, and, and you go through all the thought processes and all the, the, the individual little futures that we yeah. could see, and you think about them all, you kind of prepare yourself for it yeah. in a way. Um, so I did a little bit of a calculation just, just quickly because, um, I'm doing my first Toso Apex uh, central yeah. heat pump unit, yeah. and, and I think it's very cool to to take on this experience because we're going. Th it's we're the, the customer had to get the energy audit done, uh, and they want to get grant money, so they have to do the energy audit, and and there's a bunch of paperwork that goes along with this. We did a load calc and all that. Now they're waiting for their 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 electrical panel to be upgraded, um, mm -hmm. so we can't finish the job until that's done. That's not going to be like mid February. But I did a little bit of a calculation, so I worked it out down to per BTU. Mm -hmm. So right now what I'm paying at home um, per B, per BTU is um, I'm paying three times more for electricity than I am for gas, right? Okay, so, um, but this unit I'm installing is that 10 HSPF. And when you look into what the meaning of that is, it's, um, I think it's like 10 kilo, 10, 10,000 BTUs per kilowatt, right? Sounds and then, right. yeah, so when I did, when I was looking at, at the math of, of kilowatt, I think it's like 3412, three, three, so basically 3400 BTUs per kilowatt if we're just talking about one kilowatt equals right. how many BTUs. But with the 10 HSPF, 
you're basically getting three times more uh, BTUs per kilowatt. So when I did my calculations of this job I'm doing now, according to my bills, running just heat pump only or just um, furnace, it ended up being about the same cost per BTU just because of the efficiency of the appliance. Yeah. Now, mind you, I am putting in an electric heat coil that is going to create uh, a bit of a bit on the monetary side. It's going to be more expensive when it comes on, but it's not going to come on very often, maybe no. on a design day or close to a design day. So it's going to be like 5% or less than 5% of the, the year. I would imagine that it's actually being used. Right. I just wanted to throw those numbers at you because a lot of people are, are we're saying, Oh, it's it. Yeah. You're going to pay more for it. I'm like, well, hold on a minute. Let's figure this out. Viper wet rag is a putty that dissipates heat from heat sensitive devices when you're brazing. So basically you wrap it around or kind of get a glob of it out of the tub and you wrap it around a heat sensitive device. Cause what can happen with a heat sensitive device is when you're brazing, you can damage it. If you damage it enough, you're going to have some performance issues when you go start that machine up. So protect your devices and Viper wet rag is a very good product for doing so. Looking from afar, sitting here in Toronto, Ontario, and seeing some of the pictures from AHR and what Rapid Locking System has done to create such a cult following of high-end installers that grace the presence of places like Instagram, right? They have done such a great job at collecting these people that love to install and using their product and using their product to their benefit. So I got to pay homage to, to Paul Schubert, president, and the company for being such a loyal company to its contractors and the people that use their product. So if you're looking for a brazing alternative, check out Rapid Locking System. Yeah, no question. Um, you know, NRCAN, natural, uh, National Resource or Natural Resource Canada, I'm not sure which one it is, Natural or National Resource Canada, but NRCAN, they have an incredible software uh, uh, program available to all the uh, contractors in Canada. It's a heat pump sizing selection program. And, um, you know, you, you put in the parameters of, 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 the, uh, of the structure. Uh, we did a little test uh, building, which was a, a, what some people call a rancher. But I think in B.C., uh, in British Columbia, they call it, oh, I forget now, not a rancher. But anyway, a little little uh, one-story home, bungalow. bungalow. I guess, yeah. That yep. I know there was there was another name for it though as well. But uh, none, nonetheless, um, what this program tells you is the amount of the season, the amount of the heating season that the heat pump can handle without going to any emergency heat, without going to an electric backup, or if you're in a dual fuel system, uh, a, 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 a natural gas furnace or something of that nature. And in our little example, it would handle 96% of the heating season, 96%. You know, these heat pumps today, Gary, you know, they're going down to negative 30, negative 33 Fahrenheit. And I apologize. I don't know what that equates to in Celsius, but I mean, that's sick. <laughs> you know, it's almost it's almost hard to get your head around how we could be scrubbing heat out of out of negative 32 degree outdoor air. Uh, but that's the technology of the inverter compressor and, and some improvements that already or have been made on the inverter compressor. You know, with these ultra heat systems, uh, the, the, the product that you mentioned is an ultra heat system. Um, yeah. And and because of their capacities, their standard capacities the electric backup may not ever come on, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
in, 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 in most climates. So, uh, yeah, really, really interesting stuff. Okay. So let's, let's switch it up a little bit. We got, we got that electrification in, uh, it's, it's, it's such a, a highly heated topic, especially if you get online and, and listen to the opinions of everybody. So what about some install factors of, uh, these days, I mean, it, the heat pumps, especially mini split style heat pumps, they, they seem to be getting easier to install. I mean, but you got to follow some good install practices, good flares, you know what I mean? Good evacuation. So if we uh, could go through like a quick install tutorial of a mini split over 10 minutes, how would that go? Well, I'll, I'll just start with a couple of things that you just mentioned. We'll, we'll start with the flare. You know, guys have been, uh, tradespeople have been turned off by flares for quite some time. Um, you know, I always told guys, look, they're not going away. Uh, it, we have to adapt to it. If you've ever wondered why manufacturers have and are proceeding to move more toward flares, even in unitary systems now, it really comes down to a mistrust of, of the trade's ability to braze, right? I mean, let's be honest. That's really what it comes down to. Um, but I also say I, this. I, I, ag I agree 100% with that. The, the manufacturers don't trust people in the field. But if I was a manufacturer, I wouldn't either because I have seen some of the people online and, and how, they, how they even come across. And if they come across that way, what kind of work are they doing? And I've seen shoddy work myself too and i mean there's a lot of people that still don't even believe in nitrogen brazing if, yeah. if you can get that right so yeah, go, go on i don't want i don't want to cut you off i no, just wanted no, to no. agree with that no, point. Uh, for, for sure so um you know what what i try to do in, in my classes is talk about the flare in a, in a very practical way look you know we can make the perfect flare utilizing some very basic components and, 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 and tools, you know, how about a flaring tool with a tubing stop, <laughs> you know, just something as basic. I, I don't care who makes the flaring tool. I don't care if it's a battery power or manual, as long as it has a tubing stop and you use the tubing stop as it's intended, that flaring tool will not allow you to over flare. So, so to me, that's ingredient number one or, 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 with making the perfect flare. And Gary, I, I, I know you're a proponent of this and that's nylock. You know, nylon, yeah, I love it. I, you know, come on, you know, now I have guys say, you know, I get pushback with, with nylon from time to time. Oh, I don't need that crazy goose stuff. It's going to clog up the system. Stop it. Stop it. You know, it, it, first of all, it, it's, 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 it's impossible for it to clog a system because it essentially is the refrigerant. It, any, any nylon that would come in contact with refrigerant would assimilate into the refrigerant. It, it, so there's never been. I've talked to the people at Refrigeration Technologies. There never, there's never been a single uh, documented case of, of Nylog having a negative effect as far as a clog is concerned. That's just, it's just crazy. Well, I don't, I don't know. There's a video of John Pastorello, right? The mm -hmm. chemist CEO, he, HVAC Tech. If every, if, if people don't know, John's, uh, he's the the head of the the company, but he's also an HVAC Tech and a, a chemist. And I watched him take a little vial of um, vial or cup i can't remember but it was clear like a beaker of some sort and he squeezed a bunch of nylog in some poe oil yeah shook it up and literally it was homogenized like right like it yeah. didn't take very long so it was you couldn't tell where the nylog was and where the oil right. wasn't because it was all completely mixed so 
to the fact that it clogs stuff up, it mixes straight up with the oil because it's made from oil. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, and and then the last component or the last ingredient with the perfect flare is torquing, right? I I, I was just in uh, Calgary uh, doing a, uh, a class with the uh, Mechanical Contractors Association there. And Gary, I must have had 35, 40 guys and gals in front of me. And when I asked how many people, just be honest with me, guys, it's, you know, I just tell you, nothing's going to leave this room by a show of hands to show me how many people in this room have a, have a torque uh, wrench, two people, two out of 35 or 40 contractors in the room. I, usually I get a little bit better than that, but, um, you know, come on uh, again, if, uh, if flares are here to stay and they're all, and they are we all have to have a torque wrench and, and I'm not talking about an automotive wrench. I've, I've had an automotive torque wrench since the eighth grade. Cause I'm a gearhead. You can't use an automotive wrench on it because an automotive wrench only accepts a socket. Can't put a socket on a flare nut, right? So you got to have something that is specific to uh, a flare has an open-ended uh, head to it, whether that be uh, uh, there's a Crescent type wrench uh, on the market, the black max, I believe it by CPS. That's my favorite. Well, that's my favorite because it is a crescent wrench. You know, this is all you need to carry around. Uh, yeah. There are there are kits by Yellow Jacket and JB Industries, which I have, and 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 they're great. Um, but they're more like an automotive uh, wrench where you have uh, connections, or, or instead of a socket, you have a variety of sizes of open ends, open ended uh, wrench heads. Uh, and, and a lot of a lot of them, a lot of them, like uh, Yellow Jacket, Hilmer, Navac, they've all got digital torque wrenches now that that have the the, okay. the adjustable wrench on it. Oh, now. good, yeah. good, yeah. Uh, to me, you know, just having the one wrench to do all is is the way to go. But you yeah. got to have one, you know, because these things. Uh, if you have the guy in your crew with the Popeye arm that just cranks and cranks and cranks until he can't crank anymore. Uh, you're going to have a leak. I don't care what you've put on that 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 flare. Uh, you're going to have a leak. So, you know, there there is a correct way to make a, a flare. And as long as you follow those three ingredients, uh, I, I think you'll have 100% success rate. And something you, that ha has happened to me is is tightening. This has happened on smaller pipe, like quarter, quarter inch, right? Because yeah. it's so small and you don't have to torque it very hard. Now, there was one point... I was working in behind and it was tight and I couldn't get like a big torque wrench on it. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to do this one. I, I know I, I've torqued other ones. I know what the torque should feel like. And I, and I, and I overwent with it. Yeah. Cause when I was putting the, the thing back against the wall, it, it snapped right off ah, <laughs> like the quarter yeah, inch yeah. snapped f flush right off with the end of the, the, the nut. That's yeah. because I over tighten it. Like we're all, we're all not perfect. We all make mistakes. And that was one of the mistakes I made. I'm just glad it revealed when I pushed it back in and not yeah. three months later after oh, it was charged. You know what I mean? Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. You know, so yeah, torquing is very important. You know, Gary, this conversation kind of takes us uh, down another avenue if, if you'll allow me. And that is, you know, I see so many companies like Rector Seal and Diversitech, um, and, and JB Industries and Appian, and I could go on and on and on. I love all of these companies. I really, really do because they, I, I find that they make uh, tools to make our life easier, to make the tradesman uh, life easier. And, and that's not a bad thing. You know, I, I'm, I'm 61 years old and it's taken me a long time to get to this point in my own mind that 
products, components, tools that make the job a little easier is that's not a bad thing. As long as it yeah. doesn't, as long as it doesn't compromise the quality of the application and the quality of your work, why not? Right? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I, I saw you on LinkedIn recently asking about the, uh, you know, the pro, pro not the pro, pro pro fit fittings, right? These things. Um, yeah. I'll be honest with you. The first time I saw it. You know, I, I had my typical Geico on my father, you know, reaction like, oh, God, what are we doing here? H how are we dumbing down this beautiful trade of ours, you know? But then I use it. And the first thing I recognize is the time saving. Come on. It's a no brainer. Uh, the, the time savings involved is is significant. And Gary, it's, it, it's, uh, it's not without skill, right? You, you have to prepare the tubing properly. You have to insert the tubing properly. Um, but come on, you know, like I used to say to my wife when I was, uh, when her and I were in, were in business together with contracting in New York and New Jersey, you know, I'd come home after a long day and she'd inevitably, inevitably ask me, Jerry, how was your day? And I'd say, honey, I kept the torch in the truck, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and you know what I'm talking about. If you could keep the torch in the truck, that's a good day. It's an easy day. I'm not, you know, taking the torch out of the truck could be a very profitable day, but this keeps the torch in the truck. So why not? You know, I'm not saying every job and every application and every fitting has to be this, but why not? You know? Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think that testing it, testing things like that is super important because you don't want to just go in and, and just throw it in and go, yeah, this works and, and, and just be done with it and walk away. I think you, you, there's a slow period of getting used to things like that, like a push fitting, because first off, everybody's going to do like you did. They're going to be like, ah, no, nah, where are we going with this? Right. <laughs> but, and then when you, you put it on, you make a contraption up, you shove it on, you pressure test it and you leave it in your truck for a while and go, yeah, it's holding pressure. And then you're like, okay, you know what? One day I'm going to try it on a job. I'm going to try it on this old piece of junk, friggin' rooftop they're taking off the, the roof next summer. Let's yeah. just try it on that, right? Oh, man, it held up till next summer. If it didn't hold up, then okay, then whatever. If you installed it wrong, you installed it wrong. Did the product fail? Maybe it failed. Who knows? But if you don't test it on things, you're never going to know if it works. And And it's just... Like everybody dismissing new products that come out because they're not used to it and they don't understand them. It's not something that I preach because the, the industry changes fast. Keep up with the moving times. No doubt. Hey, man, I'm old enough to remember when uh, corrugated stainless steel gas tubing first came on the market, right? And I first saw that, Gary, and I was like, what? what are they crazy? <laughs> this is insane. And now it's the norm, right? Oh, it's, it's so popular. So, so popular, popular. Yeah. Nobody's using yeah. black iron anymore. Everybody uses the corrugated stuff as they should, you know, again, and not that it's cheaper, not by any stretch. Is it cheaper? Oh, it's just, e it's just it, more efficient. It's just easier, right? It's, it's a incredible labor savings. And that's where so many of these products really have their value is in the labor savings. But yeah, if we have time, I want to just touch on one other thing that you mentioned and that's evacuation. I was going to ask you about that next. So you're, you're with <laughs> yeah. me. Uh, you're going to have to bear with me because I tend to rant about this because I feel like I'm on like a mission about evacuation. I, I, I just feel that most of us, Gary, to no fault of our own, have been improperly, uh, improperly evacuating for decades. And now in, for some of us who are second and third generation 
now generations we've been doing it incorrectly for two reasons. First of all, it takes too long. Let's be honest. That, that's always been the root problem with evacuation. It, it takes too long. And secondly, was that nobody told us that we were using the wrong tools. You know, we, we've been using a standard manifold gauge set for evacuation. And when you look at it and you scratch below the surface a little bit, that's crazy. It's insane. You know, just because the gauge on your manifold goes into a vacuum doesn't mean it was ever intended to be used to create and to hold a vacuum. You know, that, that red, that yellow, that blue hose, that, that quarter inch hose, I know you know this, Gary, but those hoses are porous, porous. You know, they, they were never intended to hold pressure for any length of time, nevertheless a, a, a vacuum. So mm -hmm. we've been using the wrong tool. And the, the key is evacuating through the core of the, of the service valve, through the core of the Schrader valve. Whew. <laughs> I, I always use a quote from my friend Jeremy Tora, who's the NABAC rep up in your neck of the woods in Ontario, Gary. Uh, sometimes Jeremy uh, accompanies me on my training and, and I give him a little time to talk about his NABAC tools. And he said something that has always stuck with me. He said that if you're using a quarter inch hose and trying to evacuate through the core of the Schrader valve, you just took his seven CFM vacuum pump. And if you're lucky, if you're lucky, you maybe you're getting one CFM, right? So there are some basic things that we have to change and, and, and it's getting the right tools and owning the right tools. All of the, well, not all of them, many of the companies It started with yellow jacket with the super evac manifold. Then I saw a JB industries come out with something called the accelerator. I just saw NAVAC has come out with one. Appian has come out with one. These, uh, uh, evacuation kits where they come, it comes with the core pullers. Uh, it comes with half inch diameter tubing that is black. It's, it, they're not porous. Um, anyway, designed specifically to number one, do the evacuation properly and number two, do it quickly. And we just got to start using the right tools and that comes down to education. So I've kind of taken this uh, personal mission for me to educate the, the, the trade about evacuation. Yeah. It's, there's a lot of people that still don't believe in it. Ah, like yeah. I, I was on LinkedIn talking about it a while back, not even a while back within the last three or four months. And somebody who said they've been in the industry for years is like, like basically, no, that's, that's not true. Right. It's not yeah. true. But yeah. when we, when I first started hearing about this a, a bunch of years ago, I'm like, the only way to prove to myself, I'm not just going to, cause I, anybody knows it's been around life long enough is that if you want to know something, you got to go out and get, get the, the information yourself, research it yourself. Don't just take everybody's word for it. And, and I went out and I tested it. I tested a quarter inch hose against a three quarter inch hose on the same um, recovery tank, same micron gauge, same same blue vac app, and it was incredible. Like the the three quarter inch hose beat the the quarter inch hose by half the time. Right, right. And I mean, when you factor in that, if you're working on a large piece of equipment or even a, a ductless, but some of these ductlesses only have the one port. But if you're working on a large piece of equipment and you're pulling from both sides, no cores in. Um, right, a larger vacuum pump that actually can handle the um, 
what, how am I going to say this here? So a lot of people think that if you, if you're pulling through gauges and you have a five CFM pump, now, if you put an eight CFM pump in its place, now you're going to pull quicker. You're not because of the restrictions you're talking about earlier. So as long as your hoses are matched properly with your vacuum pump and your vacuum pump has the capacity to pull out of those hoses at a, at an efficient rate, then you're going to pull a, a very efficient and quick evacuation. Oh, no, no question about it. And, and another thing I'd like to point out too, Gary, is that, you know, I, I get calls or comments from guys uh, who are uh, pulling a vacuum and they'll say to me, Jerry, you know, every time I shut the pump off, I lose my vacuum. And, my, and that doesn't surprise me. You know, the, the pump was designed to create a vacuum. The pump was never designed to hold the vacuum. And that's why I uh, promote segregating or, or isolating the vacuum from the pump. And what I mean by that is if you look at the core pullers, they have a ball valve on them, right? Yep. Close the ball valve on the core puller before you turn the pump off. And now you have isolated the vacuum from the pump and the vacuum will hold. As long as you don't have a leak, the vacuum will hold. And if you have your micron gauge at the core puller, which is where it should be, not at the end of another hose. The, the, the vacuum gauge should be as close to the vacuum, as close to the source as possible. And that's why these core pullers, most of them have a side port so that you can attach your gauge directly to it. So again, you know, it, it's an education process, but it's also uh, convincing or encouraging the, the trade to, to buy the right tools. We, we need to have the right tools. I want to add to what you said, because what you said there was putting the, the the micron gauge right on your core tool. Um, I like there's, that. There's, so, so for years and years and years, the teaching was have your micron gauge as far away from the pump as possible, right? And, and that's okay. I mean, but here's the thing. You should be doing a rise test with your, with your system. When your vacuum's on, you should be doing a rise test. So when you close that ball valve on your core remover, it doesn't matter where your micron gauge is on the system because it's going to equalize out. Oh, true. So as soon as you close that ball valve, it doesn't matter if your gauge is on the other side of the system or close to the pump, you close the ball valve, you're isolating the two sides, right? And right. it's going to read the true pressure regardless. So, I mean, people that are trying to run around to find the, the furthest spot, I mean, yeah, you can do that if you want, but in the end of the day, it's really not going to make that much of a difference if you're running your rise or decay test by closing your ball valve up and looking for that rise or that drop in your vacuum. True. Yeah, no, it's so, all good. Yep. So, I mean, we can we can get online and fight about evacuation with a lot of with a lot of people like like every other subject that's out there, but I mean, well, well you you mentioned uh you know, some people actually questioning the need for evacuation. I, I had somebody do that uh, some years back and they kind of got upset with me. And, they, you know, I, I've done this for 40 years and I've never evacuated once and I've never had a problem. And my answer to that guy was, well, define problem, <laughs> right? Tell me, tell me how you define problem. Okay, so the system blew cold, but for how long, how efficiently, you know, uh, come on. Uh, to me well yeah because that back in the day they that's what they did they purged the they purged the refrigerant through and i mean that might have been okay back then with mineral oil but with poe and it being at higher hygroscopic it's gonna grab on and absorb a little bit of moisture so the deeper you can get with that evacuation the really the better for the system no question no question yeah anyway jerry i mean any other 
install tips for for these mini split enthusiasts because i'm telling you man they're they're all the rage these days and it's like everybody that i speak to now um that wants something new installed it's like 75 percent of the time they want a mini split yeah well I'll, I'll i'll share this with you gary and i get you know we get you get pushback i get pushback on a lot of things that that i talk about but again i've, I've just come to a point in my life a point in my career where i'm not afraid of some of these new items, some of these new tools that are designed to make our lives a little bit easier. And I have one here, at least I think I do. Yep. You know, these, these no kink steel threaded hoses. Um, I'm a believer, man. Uh, for any number of applications, with, I, I, I don't know if you can, uh, this is the high wall mount in my, uh, my studio here. Okay. And, yep. and there's one of there's one of these in that wall. Two Is of there? In that wall, I should say. Because it just was easier. That's all. Because it was easier. Um, they have they have bare ends. You can braze them, you can uh, flare them. So anyway, an, another example of of items that are out there by companies like Rector Seal and Diversitech and others that uh, I think are worth giving it a, tr a try. And if, if it uh, doesn't, again, uh, have it, if it doesn't change the, the quality of the, uh, of the application of the job, why not? Why not give it a try? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm all for trying everything. And if it doesn't work, then, then we leave it, we leave it behind. And if it does work, we find ways to utilize it even further. Yeah. And, and one last, uh, is this, this flexible tubing? Again, there's a number mm -hmm. of companies. I, I'm starting to sound like a Rector Seal salesman, and I don't mean to be that. I just have a lot of their stuff here. And I do like their products, but I do like Rector Seal uh, and, and others. But uh, the beauty of this tubing is that uh, I remove the little two-foot piece of uh, drain tubing that comes on the back of the high wall mounts, and I replace it with that stuff the whole run. That'll, that'll make a direct hit to the... Uh, to the drain fitting of the high wall mount and then no transitions whatsoever all the way to wherever I'm disposing of the condensate. It's a beautiful thing. It, it even yeah. comes in a pre-insulated uh, version. So where you're going through uh, non-conditioned areas where you could have a freezing issue. So uh, again, so many products out there that, uh, that just helped the job go a little smoother and a little bit quicker. Yeah. Awesome. All right, Jerry. I mean, we've, uh, I think we've captured quite a bit of stuff here and, uh, I got to well, appreciate the chat, man. And, and it's been, it's been great. Well, Gary, thank you, my brother. I hope we do it again and again and again over the years. Oh, we will. <laughs> thank you. Man. Really cool conversation, Jerry. And what you said, the next energy form, we might not be aware of it yet. That might be so true. And time will tell. There's always advances. There's always new research there's always projects that that come out of nowhere and and now we're on to the next thing so let's see time's going to tell how all this electrification thing is going to play out but thanks guys thanks for hanging out with me and jerry i'm out happy hvacking hope you enjoyed the show follow hvac know it all on instagram facebook youtube tiktok twitter linkedin and anywhere else gary feels like popping up this has been a Two Smokes and a Coffee production.